This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Capness. The Capness HR Podcast is brought to you by SM Diversity. SM Diversity is a full service staffing and recruiting agency. SM Diversity provides end-to-end talent acquisition programs, permanent placement, contractor hiring, routine hourly recruiting, and a recruitment media team. SM Diversity also provides diversity and inclusion consultants to design, develop, and implement DNI frameworks for organizations, both large and small. Hello, and welcome to Cabinet HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet. Our guest today is Robert Shea. Robert, are you ready to be great today? I am. Robert opened his first IRA at age 15 and has been fascinated by personal finance ever since. He attended the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and served 10 years on active duty, including two tours at sea conducting search and rescue missions, the North Atlantic and counter-narcotics missions in the Caribbean Sea. He is now a U.S. United States Coast Guard Reservist in Seattle and sails on board the Eagle, America's tall ship. During the summer training season, while at sea, he teaches cadets and crew members about navigation as well as personal finance management. After leaving active duty in 2015, Robert was an early employee at Future Advisor, a digital investment advisor, which was later acquired by BlackRock. He worked for BlackRock for three years before leaving to start his own investment and education company called Fireside Finances, LLC. Robert holds an MBA from the UC Berkeley School of Business and is also a certified financial planner certificate. Rob, thank you for being here today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I I learned this yesterday just by happenstance, but Warren Buffett did his first investment at 16. So he right there in some pretty good company. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope I can follow in his footsteps in that regard. So what do you keep, what are you focused on, focused on right now? Yeah. So the big thing on my mind is I'm working on getting registered my company, getting my company registered in the state of Washington. And that way, um, I can start charging for investment advice. So right now, I can give investment advice as a certified financial planner. I can give investment advice for free. But obviously, the idea is to, uh, to generate some revenue from the business. I need to get registered, and then that'll be the next step. So how does that process work? So, so you kids can get... So, so example, I can't say I'm Jason Kavner, certified financial planner, start charging people. There's actual process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the laws are very strict around, you know, providing investment advice, especially when people are charging for it. So it's a little bit different. Like if you were to I'm a health and fitness coach, you could go out and you can start charging people, you know, for, you know, being a trainer without having any type of registration. But if you want to do that same thing for investments, the state requires you to be registered to make sure that people aren't, you know, uh, leading investors astray with their with their money. So it's a good it's a good law. You know, I'm happy it's in place. It just you know makes it for some additional uh, registrations and hurdles for me to get started, which is a good thing. So they don't want anybody out there, you know, charging for investment advice. So is this rule across all the states or do different states have different ways to implement this? Yeah, it's a great question. They have different ways to implement it. The The rule does apply across the whole country. 
And then each state handles the registration as long as you manage under $100 million. And once you cross the $100 million threshold, then you have to register with the SEC. So um, that's kind of where the dividing line is. And then if you want to do business or have clients in any one of the states, uh, most states allow you to have uh, five or fewer clients in their state. And then um, some states like Texas and Louisiana, if you have one single client, there you have to be registered in that state. So initially, I'm going to register in the state of Washington and the state of California. because That's where I figure most of my clients will be. Um, and my clients being companies will hire me to come in and teach their employees you know, about their financial benefits. So I'm not, I'm, I'm setting it up purposely in the beginning where I'm not taking individual client money. So I'm a little bit different in that sense, uh, actually very different than most financial planners or most financial advisors. Most of them kind of build a book of business and are always recruiting for people to sign up with them. But I strictly, I strictly want to stick with uh, education and like workshops. Robert, so people out there who are like financially well off, you know, it seems like they're always like trying to learn more financial education, trying to do more for themselves. Yeah. And the people living pay the paycheck who actually need the financial education never get that. How do we how do we fix that? How do we change that? Yeah, so that's like a, a great a great dilemma out there is the people that can afford the advice are the ones that unfortunately don't need it as much, right? Because most financial planners and advisors are targeting people who already have several million dollars because that's where they can make the most money. So that's one of the missions of fireside finances is to bring that advice to kind of the everyday person, especially those living paycheck to paycheck. So my, my idea is I'm going to have a bunch of resources I've already started on, the, on my website, firesidefinances.com, and people can access that for free. So I'm not selling you know, content and uh, or anything like that. And my, my webinars are going to be free and people can access that. So even people that are just starting out or living paycheck to paycheck should be able to access that financial advice. And then you know, as you work yourself up and you can start to afford, you know, some some folks that charge by the hour or charge a reasonable fee, then you can have access to that. But the important thing to remember is that you don't need to pay, you know, big bucks for good, solid financial advice. There are some companies out there that are doing very, very excellent financial planning for an extremely reasonable rate. So um, it's not it's not one of these things that you know. The more you pay, the better advice you get. Unfortunately. So what do you tell someone if they say, you know what, I, I like to, I want to get financial advice, but I know I have life. I have bills to pay, pay the light bill, the car payment. I just don't have any money left over. What do you tell these people? Yeah. So I say to those people, you know, there's usually money. If you, t- if you take a look at your budget, the first step is figuring out where your money's going. So if you wanted to, if the doctor told you, you know, you got to lose weight, the first step there is keeping track of what you're eating and keeping track of what your exercise routine is. So the best way to do that is look with the food journal. So anything that goes in your mouth goes into into the food journal. And the same thing applies for your personal finances too. So anything that you know comes into your bank account or goes out of your bank account has to go into a, a budget or spending plan is kind of a nicer way to say that because it doesn't sound so int- intimidating to say a spending plan. So some of the, my favorite tools out there for creating spending plans or budgets would be mint.com is an excellent one. Personal Capital has a great free tool. You need a budget.com. So there are some great free tools out there to help help keep track. And once you figure out where your money is going, then you can start allocating it properly. So a lot of people will, will do that for about a month and then say, oh my gosh, I never realized that I was spending you know, $200 on dining uh, out or lunches or something like that. So you can start to see uh, where your money's going. And the best thing you can do, a huge fan of this, is paying yourself first. So um, you've probably heard that term before, but you know, when, when your money comes in, you allocate you know. 10, 15, 20% immediately towards your saving. And then that with the money that's left over, you you know pay your bills and live life. 
But if you don't do that, then at the end of the month, you're not going to have, have much money left. But by paying yourself first, you treat your savings just like you would a bill that you can't miss. And then that way, you're more likely to actually fall through with it. So example, instead of, so instead of, instead of paying $200 a month for 200 channels on okay, cable, you're not watching, maybe cut that down a little bit then. Yeah, exactly. Maybe look at some cheaper alternatives. Like someone just told me about, um, uh, I think it was someone in Bunker Labs told me about PlayStation TV. You can get like, you know, your cable channels through PlayStation for, uh, you know, a quarter of what the, what the cost is of, okay, I don't have cable. So I don't know. That's one of the things that I cut out in my life. I don't, I don't, uh, any any sports I need to see or highlights I can watch on the internet, and I watch like you know show, shows on Netflix and and Hulu and stuff. But yeah, that definitely like the future of, of TV watching is going to the tour to that away from cable. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. I think that is, and people are seeing that more and more. But yeah, so you know, finding ways in your in your budget to cut things to cut, just make sure you're spending money on what you value. So like I really value travel. I love traveling and I, I spend a fair amount of my, my money on travel. So I cut out other things to, to make room for my savings still. Robert, on your LinkedIn profile, it says certified financial planner. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, yeah good, good question. So anybody can call themselves a financial advisor. That's not a, a national certification. So you could be a financial advisor, uh, Jason. But to be a certified financial planner, that is a, uh, an actual recognized designation. And what that is, is there's a board of standards. And to be a certified financial planner, you have to do pretty rigorous process. So you have to have at least three years of um, work experience in the industry managing people's money. So that's what I got when I worked at BlackRock and Future Advisor. Then you have to take a year-long education course to learn all about the different retirement plans and investment opportunities and that kind of stuff. So I, I took that over the last year. And then you have to sit pretty rigorous uh, full-day exam. It's a seven-hour exam. Uh, so I sat for that in July and fortunately passed. That was a huge weight off my shoulders and pretty stressful day, but I was super happy to see uh, those, that passing grade. So once you do all those components, then you're able to, and you have to pass an ethics requirement too. They do a background check to make sure you you know, haven't had bankruptcies, and that you haven't had any convictions, uh, that you can't be a felon, those types of things. And then uh, once you've met all of those, you submit your application to the CFP board of standards and they approve or deny it. So it's a pretty rigorous process. There's a great you know network of certified financial planners out there. And whenever someone is looking for like an individual financial planner, I always always recommend, you know, make sure that person has the designation. Not to say that there aren't excellent financial advisors out there, you know, who don't have the designation, but uh, not many of them do. It's a small percent. I think it's like you know, ten percent or folks only you know have the the CFP mark. So uh, that right away kind of like sets the standard. It's kind of like an MD, you know, for a doctor. So there are a lot of ex- excellent RNs or PAs. But kind of when you're going out there, you see an MD and you know, oh, that person has been through medical school and that person has done a residency and that person has passed the board and holds that certification nationally or at the state level. So it's just kind of automatically set them apart. So I'm hoping you don't have to take this test like every year, do you? How do you get recertified? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, fortunately, I don't have to take that test every year, but I do have to meet certain professional, they call them CEs, um, every year. So I got to take so many hours of like ongoing and continuing education every year to make sure I'm staying current with the, as you know, like financial laws are always changing. So they just announced that in 2019, you know, the amount you could save in your retirement accounts has increased by another $500 for your 401k and for your IRA. So that, that's a good change, but you know, advisors and planners have to stay on top of all these changes to the tax code and uh, all the savings changes. So to make sure you stay current, they require you know, a certain number of hours every, every year. 
Now, you said you, most of your customers will be in Washington and California. Are you going to be uh, just focused on those areas? Or are you going to try to be like a nationwide company? Yeah, so um, I'm going to try to be nationwide. And, you know, I have a lot of contacts with the Coast Guard. So I, wa- I want to get out there to the, uh, since I'm a graduate of the Coast Guard Academy, I want to get back to the Coast Guard Academy, which is in Connecticut, and teach some of the cadets about what to do. So I'm allowed to have like five clients in the state of Connecticut before I need to get registered there. So I'll initially register in California and Washington because that's where my most of my clients will be. But as I grow and hopefully I, hopefully I have the need to uh, register in other states. And kind of one thing about the, the service academies is these cadets or midshipmen at the different academies get what they call a career starter loan. You know, probably most folks have heard of USAA out there, but USAA you know, wants to kind of like uh, grab them early as customers for life. So they offer them like a pretty sweet loan. So it's where this year it's around $36,000 at like 0.9%. So it's uh, very, very little interest. And as a 20 year old, you're offered this you know, very enticing loan and most, most cadets and midshipmen take the loan. And it's kind of affectionately called a car loan because unfortunately a lot of them kind of blow it all on a, on a BMW or something like that, as you can imagine. Uh, it's the first time 20-year-olds have really had a sizable chunk of money. Actually, when I got the loan, it was $24,000 at 1%. And I remember I, I went to the BMW dealership to try to buy a pre-owned BMW. And they didn't even, because I look so young, they didn't even come up and talk to me. The salespeople just ignored me completely. And looking back on it, I'm so glad they did because I'm glad I, I didn't blow that money on a BMW. But I still have my same car uh, that I bought back in 2000. And three, so I still have my eighteen-year-old uh, Toyota 4Runner. It was a two thousand when I got it, which is great. So that's that's one of the areas that I don't I don't like to spend a ton of money on. Is I you know make a wise investment in a in a reliable car, and but that just kind of reminded me about the need to remind folks about the importance of saving. And you know when you come into a windfall, like the cadets are coming into a windfall with their career starter loan, is to make sure that they are thinking about the right things to spend that on. Yes, indeed. So Robert, how are you, you talked about this a little bit before, but how are you going about marketing your business? Yeah. So initially it's with folks that know me, like I, um, I have some connections at the Coast Guard Academy. So I'll start off, you know, doing some training there. And then also uh, just through my network from grad school and through Bunker Labs and WeWork. So it's really just kind of like grassroots marketing initially. And then uh, I do have a, a plan to, to build up my SEO presence. And as I write my content to try to, you know, hone in on some keywords that, um, come back and, and try to get some growth there. I know that's going to be a challenge because um, I just have kind of a little bit of experience with SEO, but I'm going to learn some more about that. So initially, it's with like you know word of mouth and tapping my my existing network, and then the idea is like you go into you know if I can go back to BlackRock and teach folks there about investing. I obviously know their benefits and their plan well, and then a couple of people listen to it and they say, oh, this should be taught across the entire company. So then they would bring me back and. You know, the, if things go well, then they would bring me to their different offices, offices across the country to teach. So one of the hard things is figuring out pricing. You, see, you know, I think people can, uh, can, oh, like consistently undervalue their services. Yes. So um, I need to figure out pricing and figure out what number uh, someone told me yesterday. Pick a number that scares you and, and you know, it doesn't give you a heart attack. So Yeah. Like I've heard somebody say that, you know, whatever price you come up with, you probably need to double it. Exactly right, because we, you know, we'll say, "Oh, I'll do that workshop for fifteen hundred bucks," but that barely covers your time and your travel. So you got to you got to set a price. It's the time, you know, the travel, you know, all that stuff that goes into it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, your company obviously is, is focused on HR and this is an HR benefit. And as you talk to, you know, I talked to some of the HR folks out there, they spend a fair amount of money on training, like for like diversity and inclusion training. A lot of times it's, if a company doesn't have their own training staff, that, that function will fall uh, within HR. So folks are in that world are accustomed to paying top dollar for excellent training. So even though it sounds scary to me, it may not be as scary to uh, someone in the HR field. Yes. Give us your definition of investment education. It's empowering investors to understand how their money is working for them. So, and, and that can, you know, that's a kind of the concise definition, but then that's broken up. Uh, and gets gets blown out into other areas. So you know, with investing, there there are a lot of important things. It should be a lot of people think of investing like if I don't know if Jason and I ask you to think about saving for retirement, does that invoke like positive feeling? Does it make you nervous? Does it kind of get you worried? Or it's like think about that? for me, even though I'm real close to that, I'm like, oh, that's that's down the road. You know, it's, it's always like something else down the road. You know, it's not a priority, but it needs to be a priority for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it does. And yeah, so it sounds like it's not such a, a scary thing for you, which is great. But for a lot of people, when you ask them to think about their finances, they just like it's just the thing like like taxes has like a you know a negative reaction for people. But it doesn't have to be like that, and it's not it's not that complicated once you break it down. So once you start learning about it, it can actually be. I've had people that have been through my workshops, and they're like, I came out of that like really excited about it, and I went to some of the blogs you recommend and read them, and. I, I really, you know, I, I really got into it from from this point forward, and I love hearing that because it takes something that may seem overwhelming or may invoke like negative feelings, and really spin it around and all of a sudden empower someone. So investment education is really empowering people to make smart financial decisions and understand what their money is doing and how it's working for them. Because your money should always be working for you. You know, you work hard to get it. And then once you get it, it should always be working on, on your behalf too. So it should be working harder or just as hard as you're working to earn it. Robert, can you talk some about how your, your military service has helped you in building your company? Definitely. So my military service, you know, I had a, a couple of years at sea and then I did some staff assignments. But the whole time I was always, you know, focused on, on getting the mission done. And it really made me kind of have laser focus. So with the company, you really need to, there are so many distractions and ways that, you know, different avenues that you could get pulled off in. Just the other day, I was asked to help write a curriculum for entrepreneurs as they start their own businesses and talk about startup financing. And that's something that I could, I could venture off into, but I had to politely decline that opportunity because I really want to focus on personal finances and helping individuals, not necessarily business owners. So having that focus and having like that determination to succeed in the mission, so like defining the company's mission, and then making sure you're only doing things that drive towards that mission. So kind of, I think back to you know when we were back in the North Atlantic and we were inspecting fishing vessels for safety and, and fishing violations. You know, uh, we would of course attend to other things if like if they you know were, were fell into our lap or if we saw something egregious we would address it. But our mission out there was you know boarding six scalpers a day and making sure that they had all the right gear and the right safety equipment and they weren't catching too you know beyond their permitted levels. And that was our mission and being able to focus on that and you know not get distracted by other things. Uh, that's the type of focus that I'm bringing to the business. And that's what I found really helps me. Robert, can you talk some about Bunker Labs? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So Bunker Labs has been great. I got involved with Bunker Labs when I moved up here to Seattle uh, about five months ago. Uh, Bunker Labs is a national nonprofit that helps veterans uh, start their own businesses and, and military spouses as well. So Bunker Labs, it's a national organization, but they have chapters in, in you know pretty much every major city. So Jason, you and I are part of the Seattle chapter and we're, uh, Bunker Labs has a couple different programs. They have one something a monthly event called Bunker Brews, and it's like a meetup for all uh, veterans and people in the veteran community. Uh, you don't have to be a veteran to attend a Bunker Brew; just a supporter of the of the veteran community, uh, or maybe someone who's interested in hiring veterans or learning more about what veterans bring to the workforce. You could attend a Bunker Brews, which is you know typically once a month, and then of course you and I are part of the Veterans and Residents Program, which is a partnership with WeWork. We're part of uh, you know six month program. Really enjoyed it so far. I think we're about halfway through our our program here. Uh, we get six months of WeWork space, and that's an awesome program, Veterans and Residents. You can Google Bunker Labs Veterans and Residents, and there's an application page. You know, We're starting to accept applications for our uh, next cohort, which begins in February. So that's a huge opportunity. Right now, that's in uh, 14 cities across the country, and WeWork is looking to expand that into other, uh, you know, other cities. It's just such an amazing opportunity. I mean, you and I are in the office most days of the week. And, you know, if you were, if we were to uh, rent this WeWork space, it would cost us about 650 bucks a month. So I think of it as like a $650 a month scholarship. And we get, you know, printing, printing services, we get event space, you know, I have a, I have a venue, we can host our lunch and learns and, and evening events and to book that space out at a hotel or conference center would be astronomically expensive. So it's a fantastic opportunity. And uh, anyone that is in the veteran community has served or is still serving or is a military spouse is eligible to apply for the Veterans and Residence Program. So there are a lot of different ways to get involved with Bunker Labs. Those are just a few of them, but a fantastic organization. And it's relatively new. It's only about uh, I think three years old. So it's still kind of finding its direction, but exciting times ahead for Bunker Labs for sure. Robert, can you talk about a time you were successful in the past, what you learned and what we can learn from the success? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'll use a recent example because recent examples are always more fun. So just was after, so I just got married a couple weeks ago and uh, still kind of getting used to the, the whole wedding ring on the, on the finger here. But I, uh, I got married on October 7th and the Bunker Labs staff here in Seattle asked me if I would MC kind of our kickoff event called our muster, our Bunker Labs veteran, Veterans and Residents muster. And that was like two days after my wedding. So it was, I got married on a Sunday and the, and the muster was on uh, Tuesday. So it was going to be, uh, they asked me if I would MC the event, which I knew would take a lot of, a lot of time and energy. And I've been like, you know, so busy uh, trying to do wedding planning that I, my first reaction was like, no, I can't, I can't MC an event. Like, I haven't really emceed that many events before. I'm so busy with planning my with the wedding. I'm going to be like coming back on no sleep from the weekend. The wedding was up in Canada. And I thought I can't come back Sunday night or Monday night and then emcee an event on Tuesday too much. So my initial reaction was no. And then I kind of caught myself and I said, you know what, let me, uh, let me rethink that. And I said, this would be a tremendous opportunity. And it's something that I, I haven't done a lot of is, you know, like speaking kind of off the cuff. I feel like I'm a I'm a confident public speaker, but um, usually when I'm prepared and MC is a lot of like you know filler in between panelists and stuff like that, and a lot of like comments that are that are kind of off the cuff. So 
I thought about it. I said, oh, that would be a good opportunity for me to kind of grow and push, push myself out of my comfort zone. So I said, yes. And uh, I told them, absolutely, I'm happy to MC the event. And, um, you know, I did as much prep work as I could beforehand. And then when I came back, you know, from the wedding, basically jumped right into it. And, uh, and it was great. You know, I, I got up there and found out that, you know, it wasn't as daunting as I as I thought. And I don't know, do you think I did an okay job, Jason, as the MC? Yeah, definitely, yes. Okay. So, yeah, it was definitely um, something that seemed, you know, intimidating for me. But when I did it, good things came of it. So then at, at the muster was Todd Connor, the Bunker Labs CEO. And um, I had heard of him, but I, I watched his intro video and we got selected for VIR, but I hadn't met him before. And he came up to me during one of the kind of breaks and he's like, Hey, just want to introduce myself. My name's Todd Connor, you know? And I said, Oh yeah, you know, good to meet you. And he's like, I want you to get more involved in the Bunker Labs leadership. And he's like, you should be a city leader for Seattle. I was like, Oh, thanks. You know, that'd be, that'd be a great opportunity. And it's a volunteer position, but uh, it would be good for, for me professionally. I'd be able to give back to the veteran community even more. So, um, you know, that transpired and now I'm one of the three city leaders for Bunker Lab Seattle. So I think the, you know, what the listeners can take away there is like push yourself out of your comfort zone and you'll succeed when you're challenging yourself. So it, you know, what do they say? There's no growth in the comfort zone. Isn't that one of the, uh, the old yeah. things? Yeah. So like even, you know, something like this, like when you, you know, asked me if I wanted to be a guest on the podcast, I, I never, I actually have done one podcast before, but, you know, I thought, oh, I don't know if I have that much to talk about, you know, in the HR space. And uh, it's a little intimidating at first. And then I kind of had that same reaction that I did when I was asked to MC is like, you know, no, you should do this because I know I'm going to learn something do something about it. It's going to be a, a fun experience talking to you, learning more about your business and your listeners. And, you know, who knows what's going to come of it. So just kind of when you're presented with opportunities, take advantage of them and especially push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Yes. So follow up question. Talk about a time you failed in the past, what you learned and what we can learn from this failure of yours in the past. So I was thinking about that one. Um, and what I came up with was I had started a company back in 2010. We incorporated the company in Delaware. It was a C Corp. It was called Grickets for group ticketing. And it didn't really go anywhere. You know, my buddy and my good buddy were still still good friend today. He was, a, he was actually one of the groomsmen in, in the wedding. We started it together. We had this idea and we wanted to bring people together f- uh, to get the group rate at events. I still think it's a re- kind of a really cool idea. It's like, you know, say that you and I plus uh, two other uh, members want to go to a, a sporting event, but you know, they give you like a group rate if you get like 12 or more tickets. Uh, we band together with like two or three other groups and we, you know, form a group of 12 and then we can qualify for the group rate. So a platform like a digital platform that would allow small groups to band together to get the group rate and go to events. So we started this company and, um, you know, we talked to some different sporting ticketing stadiums and, uh, and entertainment venues. And, and they were actually surprisingly on board with it because they like filling their seats and they're willing to give up a discount on the uh, tickets because they know they'll bring in money elsewhere. But we were both, we both had full-time jobs. So I was, you know, still active duty in the Coast Guard and Mike was working for a education technology company. And we, we couldn't dedicate our full selves to it. We were putting probably maybe 25% of our time towards the company. And we worked on it for about a year and a half. But what I realized is like, I think it had potential and I still think it does have potential. But since you're not all in, it's like, you're, it's not really going anywhere. So in order to succeed in something, you need to be like 150% in. Uh, you got to go like, you know, get rid of all the other distractions and just 
and just jump in and be fully committed. So when I when I had the idea of starting this business, uh, Fireside Finances, I was like, you know what? I learned my lesson from Grickets. I got to be all in here. So that's when I you know took the leap of faith, left my job at BlackRock, and and went in, went all in on this. So I think that you know the the lesson for the listeners is like fully commit yourself. And if you want, if you're serious about something succeeding, make it your top priority, and you know really dedicate your time to it. Robert, I understand you have a book you're recommending for our listeners. I do. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, investing. You know, uh, of course, it's going to be an investment book, but uh, one of my favorite investment books is The Investment Answer by Gordon Murray, and I like it for a couple reasons. One, it's short, so it's like now one of these, uh, you know, one thousand page books. It's it's really manageable, and it's it can be read by someone who doesn't know much about investing at all. So it's short, it's to the point, and it kind of aligns with my investment philosophy, which is control the things you can control and don't worry about the things you can't. So I like that one. It's a, you know, I think it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. Again, The Investment Answer by Gordon Murray. Uh, I found it to be really, really helpful and definitely aligns with with how I approach money management. Rob, I also want to say you have something for our listeners. Absolutely. So I run uh, workshops and seminars and the, the idea is to eventually you know, charge for these. But as I mentioned before, I, I can't charge until I'm registered in the state of Washington. But what I want to invite all the listeners that are local to Seattle is you know, come to my workshop. So my workshop is going to be sometime in December and it's going to be here at a WeWork space. I think the one here in South Lake Union but I'd love to have you guys at, at my workshop and I'll make sure you get a seat. So email me. You can email me at rob at firesidefinances.com and, or just you know go to firesidefinances.com and fill out the, the list and, and get, send me your contact info. And I'll make sure that you get a, get a seat at the workshop and would love to extend that to all of our listeners and, and a plus one. Robert, can you give us your social media links so, so people can reach out to you? At uh, Twitter, it's Fireside Finance and... Uh, if you just Google Fireside Finances, you'll you'll find it. I I am on Facebook both personally and with the company as well. So Fireside Finances on Facebook, and I know you'll be broadcasting this on Facebook Live and, and tagging the company as well, so they can reach me that way. So Twitter, Facebook, I have Instagram. I haven't posted much on Instagram yet, but the website always has all my links for for all the social media channels as well. And to our listeners, we'll have the links to uh, social media and book recommendations in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com. Robert, we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you give us any last words of wisdom or advice on anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, you know, the last words of wisdom would just be, you know, see how, see how you can help others. And, you know, everyone goes approaches relationships that way. And, you know, I think it's going to be a, a successful endeavor for yourself. So see what you can give back, see what your areas of expertise are, and see when you meet someone, see, see how you can help them as opposed to, thinking about how they can help you. Really, you know, that's kind of the, the key to networking anyway. But think about what you can do for them. And all of a sudden, you'll start uh, making amazing connections. And uh, you'll find your, yourself growing both personally and professionally. Thank you, Robert. Robert, thank you for your time today. You're a busy person doing a lot of great things. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Jason. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to uh, following up after the show as well. To our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.